This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Science Notes, a programme on Otago Access Radio brought to you by the Science News and Promotion Group at the University of Otago. Join me, Dave McMorrin, as I chat with graduate science students. We'll find out about their research, why they do science at all, and what music they enjoy. Science Notes, Thursdays from 6.30 to 7pm, only on Otago Access Radio. Well, good evening and welcome to Science Notes for the first time for 2022. My name is Dave McMorrin and this week by Zoom, in part because of the ongoing effects of COVID and also because the radio station is being renovated at the moment, so we can't get in even if we wanted to. Um, our first guest for the year is Daniela Angeli Dutra. Hello. Hello. Thank you for coming along. So Daniela is doing a PhD. Yes. I should have checked that. Yes. <laughs> is doing a PhD in zoology. Is this right? Yes. And in particular, you are studying um, birds. So we've had quite a lot of zoologists on the show over the years, but um, I think you're doing something that's a bit different to what a lot of people are doing. Um, and so that's quite interesting. So we're going to talk a bit tonight about birds and parasites. But before we do that, we will play a piece of music. And the first one that you've brought along is? Okay, here we go. Sozinho
não soubesse que quando ela passa O mundo inteirinho se enche de graça E fica mais vivo por causa do amor Listen to Science Notes on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, where this week we're talking to Daniela de Angeli Dutra, who's doing a PhD in zoology at Otago University. So before we get into the what you're actually doing for your research, tell us a bit about how you've ended up at Otago and, and where you were before that. Well, actually, I have been working with parasites since 2013. And I work with wildlife parasites. And one of the most notorious researchers on disease ecology is actually a professor of heliosology, Professor Robert Puller. And I thought it would be a great idea to do my PhD with him. So I sent him an email, and a few months later, I was here in New Zealand. So I have been in the country for a real a lot since I moved here, and this is my third year of the PhD and my third year in New Zealand. So before this, then you were you were in Brazil, so you're from Brazil originally, yeah. yeah. And yeah. you you did a what a master's in, in in Brazil. I did an undergrad degree in Brazil and my master's in Brazil, and I have been working with research since my undergrad because in Brazil we have a really nice. Um, scientific program for undergrad students is called scientific initiation mm. and then you start receiving a small scholarship to do research since your undergrad degree so i have i have done that for a good time and when i reached the last year of my master's i thought it would be a good idea to look for a phd overseas and i decided to try it with professor robert Poulin because he's very notorious in the field of disease ecology and then I moved to New Zealand because I got this amazing opportunity. Being able to do a research project as an undergraduate seems like a, a, a really good idea, isn't it? Because you don't really know what research is like until you have to do it for real. And then, yes, you, true. And then you know if it's really going to be your thing or not before you start committing to two or three years of your life. Mm-hmm. So, so in Brazil then you were studying parasites. And in particular, yeah. so what so what sorts of parasites are you interested in? I have always studied avian malaria parasites mainly, but I have worked on some other parasites. I have uh, one publication on Babesia that is a parasite transmitted by ticks, and I have one publication on ticks and birds. But all the, the papers I have and everything I've worked on is parasites from birds and mainly even malaria, but also some other vector-borne diseases. So my main interest at the moment is vector-borne parasites. So, the so ecology of vector-borne diseases. So, in in the context of what you study, what does vector-borne parasite mean? What is a vector? Oh, vector can be any sort of organism that is used to transmit 
are not a pathogen. So for instance, in the case of even malaria, any human malaria, we have a vertebrate host that it's the bird or it can be a human, a monkey, a rat, reptiles. You can, we can also find malaria in reptiles. And then we have another host that is, whose function is to transmit the disease. So it goes from one host to another host transmitting the disease. That's why it's called the vector. A vector is a host that carries the disease around right. in a very easy way to understand. When people think of malaria, I suppose, or maybe it's just me, but you think about malaria coming from mosquitoes. So mm-hmm. are mosquitoes a vector as well in the same way that the birds can be, or is that a different thing? No, it's a different thing because the bird does not transmit, because the bird doesn't actively transmit the disease to any of the host. The vector blood feed out of the bird right. and then the parasite are developed inside the vector and when the vector will blood feed again from another host they transmit the disease okay right yes for the case of even malaria and human malaria in general we have mosquitoes as, as the vector but for some other diseases we can have ticks for instance yeah yeah okay so then you're interested in the role that birds can play in spreading malaria, these these parasites, and in particular, the difference between migratory birds and um, there's another word, I suppose, for non-migratory birds, yeah, <laughs> ones that don't travel. Birds. Sorry, resident birds. Resident birds, lovely. So, so where did this interest come from, and and in particular, why is this of interest in Brazil? So. I don't really remember why I had that idea of studying migratory birds, but I do remember when I had that idea, I was in the Amazon forest doing a field course, I spent a month in the Amazon forest, and I think because at that time I had a lot of contact with different bird species, I thought, oh yeah, I could certainly study why migration can change the patterns of parasite transmission. And the Amazon region has a lot of migratory birds that go there for breeding. So I thought it would, I don't know, I don't know why I had that idea, but it was when I was there. Right. Yeah. So where, where do the birds typically go when they migrate? Well, in South America, they usually go from the south of South America to north of South America. So usually when a bird species, for example, south of Chile, south of Argentina, it Sometimes just about 10% of the birds in South America are migratory, but they migrate from south to the northern region. So um, the Amazon region or the, in Colombia, for instance, or the east coast, the, the east coast of Brazil, around northeast Brazil, that's where they usually go. Okay. And so, yeah. the, so the idea then is, is that if a bird becomes infected with a parasite, say in Chile, then mm-hmm. they might migrate up to Colombia and then potentially infect other other creatures up there. And and in and, and doing so, the malaria spreads in a way that it wouldn't if it was only in resident birds. Yeah, exactly, because the parasites, they need the host to disperse because they cannot do it by themselves. So the bird would come from a certain region into another region and they would be infectious at that moment for the vector. So then the vector would bite the infected bird and infect other birds out of the community. So that was the 
first hypothesis of my PhD thesis, and we observed that it's actually a fact. The parasites that infect migratory birds, they present a, a greater geographical range than the ones that do not infect migratory birds. So there's an advantage to the parasites, I suppose, to be able to do that. Yeah, exactly. They can increase the geographical range. They they are present in more regions yeah. than the other ones. So, um, like we were saying before we before we started, um, I've I've been reading, I've been trying to read your most recent paper, um, and I was struck by the data sets that you have to work with. So obviously, you need to have samples from birds to be able to study with the parasites in them. And in your paper that you say that your data set comprises 15,285 individual birds representing 974 species. So the fact that you've got 974 species seems amazing, um, but this is a lot of birds. So where do you get all these samples from? Well, when I was in Brazil, I started doing research since 2013, and I have always worked on avian malaria parasites. So when I was in Brazil, one of the research groups I was a part of had a really large data set because they have been compiling data on birds since 2005. And out of those 15,000, about 7,000 is from that lab. And the other one, about 8,000, is from another collaborator. And he also has been collecting birds and analyzing them since 2008, I think. And then I combined those two data sets that are from two collaborators I have met in Brazil when I was doing my undergrad and my master's degree there. And then I organized it and brought it to New Zealand to do my PhD. So, so the data itself isn't so much like blood samples or little bits of birds, it's, it's, it's genomic sequence, is it? No, it's blood samples. It is blood samples. They collect, they collect the birds. Yeah. And then they take a little bit of blood because malaria, uh, they, they are blood parasites. So when you, you're doing the diagnosis, you take a little bit of blood. And then all you do a diagnose by looking at the blood itself in the microscope, or you just try to amplify the parasite DNA to detect it. Right. So you need the blood. And then they, they go usually like to forest or park, national park, to collect some birds, take the blood samples, examine the blood samples, and then identify the parasite. Right. So you can identify the parasites just by looking under a microscope, can you? Yes, you, you, you have usually two ways to do it. The traditional way is by looking then at the microscope. But what people have been doing more frequently at the moment is using genomics to identify the parasites. So you would sequence the, par the parasite DNA, like a, just a small portion, yeah. and then use that fragment to set an ID for the parasite. Then you identify that certain idea of the parasite as a distinct parasite lineage. Right. So there's lots. So I think this is, it says this here as well. Um, 752 distinct types of, sorry, you sequence 2,700 odd parasites. And this, of course, is something else that I find amazing. Um, I've been doing the show for a while now, and it seems like every every person from zoology who comes on seems to be having more and more hundreds of DNA analyses that they can do. It's just so fast now, isn't it, that you can get this information so quickly. Yes, it is. It's very fast. And it has been getting cheaper as well. So that's probably one of the reasons people are expanding the use of molecular tools. 
and, and so and, I suppose. Uh, oh, sorry. Yep. When 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 people were first starting collecting these blood samples from the birds, presumably this sort of analysis wasn't necessarily what they had in mind because you just couldn't do this sort of analysis even twenty years ago. No, we couldn't. So twenty years ago, we would identify the parasites just by looking at it in the microscope, and then you have some taxonomic tools and some taxonomic traits. Morphological yep. trace of the parasite that you look at to try to identify the species, but now that that work is not necessary anymore because mm. it's much easier if you can you can only sequence the parasite and have an ID. It's much easier and you can do it much faster when you have a lot of samples. Yeah, because identifying each parasite species out of each blood smear for each bird is very time-consuming. Yeah. So the use of molecular tools has advanced a lot on um, disease ecology because it can work with much bigger data sets. Yeah. And I suppose the other thing too that wouldn't have been um, as easily done 20 years ago is a sort of analysis that you're now doing on all this data because you're doing quite, quite sophisticated mathematical statistical analysis, I think, aren't you? Yes. I, I, I like to think they're not... Oh, complex because I. Well, it I sounds bad. It sounds complex to me. <laughs> no, no. It wasn't really that hard to do it because what we have today, we have some programs that they make things much easier for you because you have functions in statistical packages that do most of the calculation. So it sounds more complicated than it actually is to yeah. perform those analyses. But that's actually very good because people are developing packages, statistical packages that make the researchers work way easier. Yeah. And that's really amazing. But as we were saying too earlier, um, the numbers that you get out from this are only as good as the data you can put in. And the best way to get good answers is to have lots of data that you're putting in. And you have heaps of data for this, don't you? Yeah, they do. Indeed, for there are some global data sets for parasites that people have been using to do some big data analysis. So, for instance, for even malaria parasites, we have since 2009 a global database. And you can extract data from that for free and at the time you want it's available online. Right. And they have over 12,000 lineages mm. with information about locality, parasite ID. So it has been an increasing trend in disease ecology to work with big data analysis. Also because it's much cheaper. Yeah, yeah. And you don't, you don't have to waste your time and resources by going again to the field to collect more animals. You can work with what you have if your idea is to do some research on general and big patterns. And so you said that your hypothesis was that the, the, if the parasites infect the migratory birds, it's better for the parasite because they get transmitted further. And so this is what you found in your, in your analysis, is it? Yes. Yeah, so for the first chapter of my PhD, we observed the influence of migratory birds out of community level. So how the presence of the migratory birds could influence the transmission of the parasites or how much the parasite can disperse. And we observed that the parasites, that in fact the migratory birds are present in a wider geographical range, so they are more widely distributed. And we also observed that the presence of those migratory birds 
in the resident birds community. So the fact that migratory birds are there and going to those regions also influence the percentage of infected birds and the diversity of parasites in those regions. Right. Which I suppose makes sense, but you don't know that until you actually do the do the experiments and find out, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Because if you're going from one region to another region, dispersing parasites, we can also assume that you're bringing a greater diversity of parasites to different regions because you're carrying a parasite from one region to a different one. So it can certainly influence the prevalence, not only of the migratory birds, but of the resident community that is there mm. as well. Yeah. And so I suppose if, if, you were, if you were keen to try and get rid of, say, malaria in some part of South America, um, this would have to be something you'd consider, is the fact you could run around um, you know, killing animals that were infected, but you've got more parasites coming in all the time from these birds. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's a big problem for places where malaria is very harmful for the native community, native bird community, like here in New Zealand. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's 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 great, and we are just about out of time, I think. Um, thank you so much for coming and talking to us about what you've been up to. I told you it would go fast. Um, and you said you're in your third year, so you're busy writing up. You're almost finished, are you? Or um, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm almost finished, but I still have one chapter to right. go. Right. Yes, it's never finished yeah. till it's finished. And then the plans to stay in New Zealand or, or to move on to somewhere else? I would really like to stay in New Zealand. New yeah. Zealand is an amazing place. And I really appreciated the opportunity I had to move to New Zealand and to be here since 2020. And if everything goes right, I will stay here for some more time. Cool. Okay. Well, all the best for it. Um, and thank you, everyone out there, for listening. And I'll just remind you, you can listen to the show again next week at the same time. And then at your leisure as a podcast from the Otago Access Radio website, which is www.oar.org.nz. And we'll finish tonight with Daniela's second piece of music. Thanks for listening, everyone. Abençoado por Deus e bonito por natureza É fevereiro, tem carnaval Eu tenho um fusco e violão Sou flamengo, tenho uma nega chamada Tereza
Science Notes, a program on Otago Access Radio, brought to you by the Science News and Promotion Group at the University of Otago. Join me, Dave McMorrin, as I chat with graduate science students. We'll find out about their research, why they do science at all, and what music they enjoy. Science Notes, Thursdays from 6.30 to 7pm, only on Otago Access Radio. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.